This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Would you hand $600 million to Los Angeles Angels superstar Shohei Otani when he hits free agency after this season? Hell yeah. That oh, is that easy? Hell oh, yeah. Oh, is that easy? Hell for me. It's not my money. What do I care? Right there it is. And that right there is Freddie Coleman spending the money of the Dodgers owners, the Yankees owners. Who knows? Uh-huh. My name is Joe Fortenball. We're in for Fitz and Harry here on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to talk to Buster only about all that at 2.30 p.m. Eastern in about half an hour. But we begin with Jay James Harden and the Philadelphia 76ers as the clock is ticking. Harden has until Thursday afternoon to decide on whether or not he will exercise his $35.6 million player option. He led the league in assists last season. That's solid. He had a career best assist to turnover ratio. Also solid. What wasn't solid and perhaps troubling because it's been seen so many times before, was that Harden once again went MIA in the playoffs when his team needed him the most. In Game 6 and 7 combined against the Boston Celtics, he shot 7 of 27 from the floor, which is 25% for the math inclined, 22 total points, 10 turnovers. So what is going to happen moving forward? We'll hear from Tim Legler and Brian Windhorst in just a moment. But Freddie Coleman, your thoughts to the situation. What should Philadelphia do versus what will Philadelphia do? do? Are those two different things or do they align? They are very different because what Philadelphia should do, in my opinion, is allow James Harden to go to the Houston Rockets like he wants to. It seems like that's where a lot of his his heart is, business interests, recreational activities, et cetera, et cetera. That seems to be a place that he really, really loves. If I'm the Philadelphia 76ers and you know that you've got more than another instance where you can't count on this guy to at least be a Robin to the Batman that is Joel Embiid in the playoffs, you got to move on from him, make Tyrese Maxson your number two option, and you go after a guy like Fred Van Vliet. Or if you want to have another score in the front line, a guy that can be a multidimensional scorer, then you go after Kyle Kuzma, for example, who's going to be a lot cheaper and a lot more reliable potentially than James Harden. But I would go after Fred Van Vliet. Need an orchestrator. Need a guy that can play well in pick and roll. He can do that with Joel Embiid. He's not going to be a shot hog, but he can make those kind of shots. He can get in the rim. He can find other people and make them a little bit better. Yeah, I know he's not the playmaker that James Harden is, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be a better fit. That's what they should do. What they're going to do is sign him for five years over Ugh. that $200 million threshold. He's going to make $50 million a year because they've told everybody, Joe, this has to work. Because we decided on him other than Ben Simmons. When Ben Simmons let everybody down that series versus the Atlanta Hawks, they have to be all in on James Harden because Daryl Morey loves those of James Harden, and he'll make sure that mistake stays more of a mistake and try to make it work than admit that this is a mistake in the building and moving from that out of his building. If signing James Harden means the Sixers can win 50-plus games again this season, get to the playoffs, make it to the second round, and maybe that's it like it's been for each of the last six seasons pretty much, At the very least, you probably put yourself in a position to keep Joel Embiid because it won't have bottomed out. Absolutely. What I think might worry them a little bit is the idea that if they let Harden walk and they don't find an adequate replacement and they go on and they win, say, 39, 42 games, whatever it may be, they take a step back in the regular season, then they go to the playoffs, maybe they get beat in the opening round, suddenly Embiid's looking around saying, enough's enough. I've been here long enough. You haven't built well around me. You haven't made this team any better. We're getting worse. I want to go. And then Philadelphia is right back to where they were a little over a decade ago with Trust the Process. 
Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst, his thoughts on whether or not James Harden should be back in Philadelphia. I don't think you win a championship with James Harden. It's that simple. I just don't think you do. When, when you look at star, true star players around the NBA, and I'm not saying that James Harden's not a star. Clearly, he's been an MVP in this league, statistical domination for, for a decade. When you look at star players, though, right, there's a couple things that most of those guys will be able to do that James Harden has shown repeatedly he can't. And, and here's the first thing. Star players floor on a given night yeah. can't be what James Harden's floor is. Mm-hmm. Okay? My point being, if you're a 23 to 25 point guy, right, that's who you are. You might have a rough shooting night in a playoff game or a big spot or it's game five and it's 2-2, but you're going to find a way to get to 20, you know, because you get to the line. You're still making plays. Maybe that's a night you get eight, 10 assists, whatever it may be. When James Harden hits the floor, it's a six-point night Uh. with six turnovers and disappears in the fourth quarter of games where he doesn't want any part of that moment. You can't overcome it. Because he's got the ball the whole game. That's the sounds of Tim Legler and his thoughts on James Harden. Alongside Freddie Coleman, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Buster only coming up in 25 minutes as to whether or not someone's going to fork over $600 million this offseason for Shohei Otani. This is the trouble spot, Freddie. Mm-hmm. Harden back in Philly. Yeah. How do they take the next step? Playoffs each of the last six years, five of those playoff appearances were losses in the second round. Uh-huh. One of them was a sweep at the hands of the Boston Celtics in the first round. If Harden's back, yeah. what what should make anyone in Philadelphia or the rest of the NBA believe that this roster is going to take the next step and make it to the conference championship game? Only if James Harden becomes a playmaker and Tyrese Maxey becomes the second option. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I look at a Tyrese Maxey and I don't believe he's afraid of any moment. He attacks it. Yeah, the pressure is different than is on James Harden, on Joel Embiid. I completely understand that. But wouldn't you want a guy that rather attacks the moment than have the moment attack him? 100%. And and that's the frustrating thing, Joe, about James Harden because we've seen what he can do. I saw it in game one on the road versus Boston. I saw him hit the game-winning shot in game four to tie the series in Philadelphia versus Boston. I saw the playmaking magic and wizardry that he had in game five to give Philadelphia a 3-2 lead. It's not as if we haven't seen or don't believe that it's there. We know it's there with James Harden, but if we keep asking the same question, why don't we see it in playoff moments, then we've gotten our answer. And if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, whether you're Daryl Morey, whatever that is, or whoever that is, maybe he needs to be that point guard and orchestrate more for Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxx and Joel Embiid and not believe that he has to be the Robin to the Batman. That is Joel Embiid. Because Joel Embiid is signed through 2026, 2027, but we're going to become an unrestricted free agent. He's going to make over $46 million this upcoming season. Then after that, it goes above $50 million before he becomes an unrestricted free agent after the 2026, 2027 season. So if you sign these guys to these contracts and James Harden's not working out and then you got that kind of freight, that you have in Philadelphia, that's why it's in their best interest that James Harden needs to take a step back, in my opinion, for this team to take a step forward and get out of the second round and be a threat to get to the NBA Finals. All right, so let me run this by you because I've been workshopping this for a little while and I don't hold it against them because everybody's different. But I think I've stumbled across something as to why some of these situations late in games don't go well. And it's a big picture situation with Harden. Right. I wonder, and again, this isn't a knock, but I wonder... Where do you think winning a championship 
ranks in his the day-to-day priorities of his life. Starting with a guy like Dame Lillard, right now it seems like Dame really wants to compete for a title. Yes, he does. Steph Curry, LeBron James really want to compete for titles. Yes, they do. It's almost as if that's the priority and everything else falls in underneath. Harden's a guy that, if I'm reading this correctly, has already made over $300 million in his career just from basketball. That's before endorsements and everything else. Mm. Sometimes it strikes me, and this is not an indictment of him. People are different. It strikes me as... He plays basketball. He loves basketball. He puts up big numbers. He's had a great career. But going out and winning championships isn't something that necessarily matters to him all that much like it does to some of the other guys. What do you think of that? I'll say this in terms of that. I'm not going to say that you're wrong, but I'll say that his reactions after losing series backs up your point. Normally, a guy like Joel Embiid, it looks like he's ready to just cry when they lose a series. He looked that way at the game seven. I'll never forget how he looked after the ball that Kawhi Leonard made for the Toronto oh, Raptors. He did cry. Yeah, that hit more <laughs> orange than an orchard before it finally <laughs> went down the rope. And just seeing the look on his face, winning and losing matter to a Joel Embiid. Anytime that that situation come up with James Harden, immediately after somebody else gets blamed and somebody else gets executed. Seriously. I mean, having with Chris Paul, having Russell Westbrook, Having with Doc Rivers in Philadelphia, it seems that time and time again, when things don't go right, it's very easy for James Harden, either behind the scenes or maybe in a veiled moment, to all of a sudden say, I did all I could, it's not my fault. And then he has people that will speak up for him and forward that on his behalf. So if he's got to show people, not just in Philadelphia, but he's got to show anybody. If you're a superstar, well, then act like one. Superstars hate it when they lose. And hate it when they have a chance to lose out on winning a championship. And it matters to them. That's why his reactions after not advancing in the playoffs are very telling about how much he really cares about winning. Or is it just about money and notoriety and fame that way when it comes to James Harden? See, that's the thing. And you touched on some of it, but the picture's even bigger. Look at how the relationship ended with Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Yes. Before that, it was Dwight Howard. People forget about that. Yeah. He wanted Dwight Howard out of Houston as fast as possible. So he had those three situations. Then he ends up in Brooklyn, and it didn't take long before it went south with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. For whatever reason, right. there was an issue with Howard. There was an issue with Chris Paul. There was an issue with Russell Westbrook. There was an issue with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. There was an issue with Doc Rivers. It, 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 yeah. it That's not a coincidence. Yeah. It's not a coincidence when you stack that many up. So that's what Philadelphia is working with, but it might in the eyes of Daryl Morey, and it probably oh. does beat the alternative. He's yeah. Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fornball. We're filling in for Fitz and Harry here on ESPN radio high above the Heineken river deck at pier 17. Speaking of the Sixers, one of the highest paid players on the roster may have just punched a one-way ticket out of town. That's next on Fitz and Harry ESPN radio and Sirius XM channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
Is it a good take? That's good. Great. Or a hot take? How hot? Red hot. Find out now with Fitz and Harry. With a twist, Fitz and Harry on vacation this week, filling in <laughs> alongside Freddie Coleman. My name is Joe Fortenball. Thank you for spending some of your time with us today. Good take, hot take. Gino Ariema, the UConn women's basketball coach, on all the offseason talk he hears. Everybody's got reload team, and everybody's got, you know, unfinished business team, and everybody's got, you know, all this, all this stuff going out there. I thought we'd just shut the up and win games yeah that's a good take I mean if you're Gino Oriema you don't want to hear any excuses because he knows nobody cares and the most important person Joe of someone not caring is him he's not trying to hear that so people can say what's wrong Connecticut basketball what's wrong with you he's like look you win games people shut up you don't win games people are going to run their mouth that's a good take from Gino Oriema that's a good take for anybody that's a good take for anybody out there. That's a good take I'm going to share with my children tonight at dinner. Just shut your – what's uh, the, know your role, shut your mouth. Amen. Go out there and handle your business. Now, I don't know if my wife is going to like it if I phrase it that way because they that, are six and four years old. Now, that's a good take by you. But I'll find, a nice, <laughs> I'll find a nice medium ground in there in which to convey the message but maybe not as aggressively. Tobias Harris, Philadelphia 76ers forward, reaction on all the Sixers fans wanting to trade him. Casual Sixers fans, they'll trade me for a crumble cookie. But at the end of the day, I have to realize, like, you're not getting a 6'9 forward back who can, you know, damn near shoot 40% from three, guard other teams, best player, shoot, post up, drive, play 70-plus games a year. Here's why it's a good take. Because you're Tobias Harris. If you're not going to love yourself, then you can't expect other people to love you. And he wasn't lying because that's exactly what his role is. Whatever Philadelphia 76ers fans want, want from him, he's like, look, I know what I can do. And now we're going to get a head coach that's going to really accelerate what I can do. So, yeah, Tobias Harris, standing your ground, that's a good take, brother. I want to say hot take. I really do, but he's right. He's absolutely right. The thing is, and Legs came on and said this earlier, mm -hmm. he makes $180 million over five years. Yeah. So the fans, and that's what the fans gravitate to. Yep. They see you in your production, and they see the number in which you get paid, and they put those two together, and if it doesn't jive for them, they don't like you. And there have been moments where Embiid hasn't been able to make the shot, and Harden hasn't been able to make the shot. And you're looking at Maxi out there, and you're thinking, can you step up? Can you be the guy that puts the ball in the bucket and gets us through this game? And when that doesn't happen, he takes a lot of heat. Unnecessarily so, I agree, but I'm so close to wanting to say hot take because I am one of those fans. I see that 180 mil, and it's like, come on, man. If those two can't finish it, why don't you go finish it? You can have that one game. Robert Ori would go out there and have that game. There are, <laughs> we're not asking for it over the course of 25 playoff games, but every now and again, you can have that one big game to bail everybody out. Kendrick Perkins, <laughs> we know him well. ESPN NBA analyst on Get Up this morning. Joel Embiid is on the clock for a championship. Joel Embiid is on the clock. When it comes down to winning the championship, he is now on the clock. We have to hold him to the same standard that we did Giannis after he won the MVP, like we did, like we did Jokic when he won the two MVPs. Embiid is on the same standard. He's on the clock to win the championship. And if Philly don't surround him with the right pieces, I don't see, I don't think it's far-fetched to, to think that he, he would possibly leave and go to a team like the New York Knicks. 
that's a hot take because I think they've been on the clock for a championship the last couple of years. This is not something that's just come about just because Nikola Jokic got his and Joel Embiid got his MVP finally after – I don't want to say whining and begging for it. That's just too strong of a statement. But he <laughs> felt disrespected that he wasn't considered more the two years that Nikola Jokic won the MVP. But let's be honest. The minute that they got James Harden and moved on from Ben Simmons, the Philadelphia 76ers were on the clock to win a championship. That's a hot take from, from – Hot take alert. As a team, they were on a clock when that happened. But as an individual player to win a championship, I like Perk's take. I think that's a good take because he's an MVP now. Things done changed. Things done changed when you're an MVP. I went back through all the MVPs yesterday on this show. I went back 40 years. I didn't go the whole way. But if you go back at least 40 years, you cannot find me an NBA MVP who has failed to make the conference finals at least once. Joel Embiid has never made the conference finals. Again, As a Sixers fan, I am not looking for a championship. I have given up on that. As a Philadelphia fan, you're just happy to be there. I would like to see them get to the conference championship round. Just show us you're capable of taking the next step. You're an MVP now. The clock is absolutely ticking. Absolutely. Bill Barnwell, ESPN, NFL senior writer on the 6 p.m. Sports Center. Tua Tungavailoa, the quarterback, with the most pressure going into the season? Nobody in the NFL has more pressure on him in 2023 than Tua Tango And You can look at the other players in his draft class for a while. Jalen Hurts already got a massive deal. Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert also likely to get massive extensions this offseason. That's not the case for Tua Tango Vailoa because of his injury risk and because of what happened a year ago where he was the best quarterback in football early in the season and then after he came back from injury, not quite as effective. That's a hot take. I can name at least four guys. Hot take alert. Than, yeah, that, four pro- guys that have more pressure than him. Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys, held his own division. Aaron Rodgers with the, with the New York Jets. Even Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. That's three dudes right at the top of my head right there that are more pressure than Tua Tungvaluwa. And that's not to say that Bill is, not, is wrong about saying about Tua Tungvaluwa staying healthy. Yeah, there's that pressure. But those other guys – they have a lot more pressure, the ones I mentioned, more than Tua trying to make it a, a not a do-over in Miami. I'm going to go hot take as well. Hot take alert. But with the caveat, that's not what Barnwell does. Barnwell makes a Absolutely. very good True. point. That's Barnwell right. makes a very good point. There is a lot of pressure. You mentioned Josh Allen. There's a lot of pressure there. Absolutely. Justin Herbert with the Chargers. Fair. People are starting to wise up to the fact that Herbert isn't necessarily as great as everyone's made him out to be. Herbert's been in a situation where the team, the coaching, the organization, the defense, everybody's taking the blame but him because he played very well early on and we've accepted that. And he is a very good quarterback. But when you go back and truly watch that collapse against the Jaguars, Mm -hmm. he at no point late in that game stepped up to make any of the necessary plays to get his team over the top to finish that thing off. He was right there with them, sinking as that ship went down just off the coast of Jacksonville. Mac Jones has a lot of pressure. And I'm going to throw another name out there. Lamar Jackson got the bag. Absolutely. No one's defending Lamar Jackson anymore. Lamar Jackson was one of the most polarizing cases. A lot of people say can't stay healthy, can't win in the playoffs. A lot of people backed him up. A lot of people backed him up and said he's worthy of that money. Now he's gotten paid. There's nothing else out there. Now you have to win in the playoffs. Absolutely have to win in the postseason. 
Good take, hot take. Freddie yeah. Coleman, Joe Fortwell, yeah, filling in for Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin, good friend of the show, ESPN Radio host on the Freddie and Fitz Simmons show. Am I living in a parallel universe? You are. Who's the best running back in the NFL right now? Christian McCaffrey. This one should come as a no-brainer. I mean, we know that his dual skill set as a runner and as a receiver benefits this offense, which is quarterback-proof. They traded four draft picks to get him. In 11 games, he did more than what he was able to do with the Carolina Panthers. And, of course, he stayed injury-free in San Francisco. Let's hope that he's able to continue on that trend. This is why he got the massive contract extension. When he is healthy, he can be otherworldly for this team. Yeah, it's a good take because look at the offensive line he's playing behind because, like I said yesterday, he probably got the San Francisco 49ers and said, so this is what it's like yeah. to have an <laughs> offense where I don't have to do everything and I got an offensive line and a quarterback and a coaching staff that knows what they're doing. Wow, Xanadu. He didn't know what that was like the first years he played in his NFL career with the Carolina Panthers. So, yeah, right, Courtney, that's a good take. I, also, I think that Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the NFL, but I don't think she's wrong. See, similar situation. Good take. Um, I don't agree with the best running back in the NFL. I'd argue for Derrick Henry. Just because the Titans stink doesn't mean Derrick Henry should be punished. True. The numbers, the production, how he carried that team to the AFC Championship game, we forget about him because his team stinks. That doesn't mean he's not great. But the case for Christian McCaffrey, what he can contribute in the passing game, how he fits in Kyle Shanahan's offense, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So it's a really good case to be made. And this season, if he stays healthy, he's going to put up LaDainian Tomlinson like Ooh. numbers. Ooh, Fitz okay. and Harry's presented by Progressive Speaking of Insurance. Hot take, good take. <laughs> hot take <laughs> alert. All right, all right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How is that hot take? He, you're talking about LT, putting up, Look, yeah, LT yeah. could throw the ball. LT right. could catch the ball. LT could run the ball. We okay. don't see an LT like season. Yeah, but are you talking about the one where he had what I believe is the greatest running back season of all time when he Not won the that MVP? Season, one of the other seasons. All right, that's fine then because that's where <laughs> I thought you were going. Like, wait a minute, hold on a second now. I said LT like. All right. So, just, like, there's I, like I, several seasons. Yes, I, I just want to make sure that people don't come at you at Joe Ford Ball on Twitter and say, dude, what are you talking about? I'm just trying to help you. That season was sick. People forget what Absolutely. he did that year. Absolutely no sick. All right. Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility and great pay and benefits? Go to progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Whatever Shohei Otani is paid up this offseason, it's not enough. And that is not a hot take. That's next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Stan Otani left his pitching assignment because of a cracked fingernail. Here's a pitch that he hits well out in the left center field. It's carrying deep out there, and this one is out of here. Cracked fingernail or not, Otani the hitter is in his second home run tonight. That audio, courtesy of Angels Radio, AM 830. Just another ho-hum affair for the <laughs> modern-day Babe Ruth, also known as Shohei Otani, who had two home runs and 10 strikeouts as a pitcher, earning the win in last night's 4-2 victory over the Chicago White Sox. Buster Olney, ESPN baseball insider, kind enough to join Freddie Coleman and Joe Fortenball here on Fitz and Harry, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Buster, thank you so much for your time. I mean, Otani 
Is he in the same company as Babe Ruth with 13 home runs in a single month in which he started one game? What are people around the league saying about what he's doing right now? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and it's crazy to think about the kind of money he's going to get in the fall because he's having a – it feels like close to a perfect season as he enters a perfect storm of bitters. You know, the Dodgers <laughs> spent uh, the last off season seemingly shaping their payroll so they could take a run at Otani. We know the Mets, disastrous year. <laughs> you, know, you could see them veering into free agency and looking at Otani's being, that's the guy who's going to solve their problem. Padres are spending money. Giants have money to spend. Yankees will be involved for sure. The Cubs will be involved for sure. The Mariners, uh, you know, certainly would be involved. And the Angels want to keep the guy. And so he's putting himself in this amazing position. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned, Joe, at the top about how, you know, it, is this uh, modern-day Babe Ruth? I think Babe Ruth would have loved to have accomplished what Otani's doing. <laughs> like, you know, Babe Ruth was a great pitcher, and he transitioned eventually into being an unbelievable offensive player. Otani is doing this on both ends, right? He's leading the major leagues hitters in all these categories, home runs and RBI and adjusted OPS+, and he has the lowest batting average against of any pitcher in the big leagues. It's unprecedented what he's doing to to be dominant on both sides of the ball at that level. It's like having Patrick Mahomes being a game wrecking linebacker uh, <laughs> at the same time that he's you know throwing fifty touchdowns in a season. You mentioned the money aspect and teams and the bidders that are going to be involved when it comes to the perfect storm and his future financial considerations. What does your gut tell you about terms of contract and money in that contract? Uh, it, it, and that's a great question, Freddie, because I, you know, the, the way the Dodgers have conducted business since Andrew Freeman took over baseball operations, yeah, they spent a lot of money, but they don't ever pay sticker price, right? When they traded for Mookie Betts, they got him at a time. There weren't a lot of teams that were willing to trade prospects for him, and then they gave him a contract that was had some big numbers, but then a lot of deferred money underneath. So they kind of got him at a bargain rate. They got Freddie Freeman at a bargain rate, uh, you know, relative to the talent. In this case, they better be prepared to play sticker price plus twenty percent. Like it's going to be the the question in the in the bidding is going to be uh, which owner is willing to go to crazy land. You know, will Steve hmm. Cohen, the Mets owner who has a billion dollar art collection, be willing to go over six hundred million dollars? Will other teams chase him if he does that? So my instinct is. Uh, and I'll, I'll just echo what a lot of people in baseball believe, that if the DH had been the National League when Otani chose to go to the Angels, he would have been with the Dodgers. My instinct is the Dodgers get him, but there is incredible possibility for some team to come in and just blow everybody out of the water, and then we're going to find out if Otani in this negotiation you know, values money or values a particular landing spot. Buster Olney, ESPN Baseball Insider, joining Freddie Coleman and Joe Fortenball here on Fitz and Harry ESPN Radio. Otani says he's not sure about participating in this year's home run derby. On the other side of L.A., you have Mookie Betts, who says he will. What did you learn about Betts when you were at Dodgers Stadium for Sunday Night Baseball this past weekend? Yeah, which was an interesting decision to hear from Mookie last week on social media. You know, He said if he makes the All-Star team, that's not official, but we all assume that he's probably going to be on the all-star team when that's announced tomorrow, uh, that he'll participate. So I walked up to him at Dodger Stadium and, hey, what, what, what made you feel like you want to do the Derby? And he looked at me and goes, I still don't want to do the Derby. <laughs> but then he went on to explain that his wife, Brianna, 
basically encouraged him, look, uh, you know, you've done everything in the sport. You've won the World Series. You've been an MVP, et cetera. Uh, why not do this? Why not use this platform? And Mookie's talked about uh, wanting to raise awareness of black culture and, and, and wanting to take these opportunities to do that. So he's going to do it. I can't tell you that I felt a lot of confidence from him that he's going to win it because he is 5'9 and 170 pounds. He's going to be going up against a bunch of monsters. Hmm. Uh, you know, when I asked him about his strategy, he looked at me and said, I don't even hit home runs in batting practice. <laughs> uh, I love the fact that Mookie feels like it's his responsibility as one of the game's biggest stars to be there. Now we bring ourselves to the New York Mets. And it's always good if you're a Mets player that when the owner says, I'm going to have a press conference and announce it on Twitter, you go out there and beat the Brewers 7-2. You like a baseball team for the first time since about two and a half months of the season when that got started. But Steve Cohen said he's going to meet the New York media. What do you expect we're going to hear from him based on his State of the Union address that's going to happen? He's going to talk about what, how disappointing this year is, uh, but he's also, I believe, going to talk about how, no, he's not coming in to fire a bunch of people. I think George Steinbrenner conditioned us all to believe that any time <laughs> a New York team loses three straight games, uh -huh. the manager's in trouble. Uh, everything you hear about Steve Cohen is that he is not a chair-throwing owner. And he's not going to do what Steinbrenner once did, which is to strip these employees of a dental plan <laughs> when the Yankees had a, you know, a, bad, uh, a bad run of games. Uh, it, it's much more likely, I think, that he'll stay the course because as his time, you know, in his in his primary job as working in finance, uh, he's under, learned to understand volatility and that sometimes, you know, the conditions that you thought were going to be in place aren't necessarily there. And let's face it, if you think of Steve Cohen as a poker player who shoved the biggest pile of chips any owner has ever shoved in the middle of a table, the highest payroll in baseball history, over $400 million, including luxury tax, he's got to play it out right. at least for two or three more weeks. And, look, if the Mets continue to sink in the standings, some executives of the teams are telling me they would not be surprised if they do a measured sell-off, maybe ask Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander about their full-no-trade clauses. But for now, I think they're just going to try to turn around. A recent history tells you we've seen teams in the last four years, first last four full seasons, come back from deficits of where the Mets are in at least eight and a half games. Buster Olney, ESPN baseball insider, kind enough to join us here on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Thank you, Buster. Tremendous stuff as always. All right, guys. Good to talk with you. Amen to that. I mean, wow. could the Royals make the move for Shohei Otani? I kid, but you got to figure there's only, there's only a small there's, handful of teams that have the pockets. Yeah, yeah there, there are two teams, the Dodgers and the Dodgers. <laughs> that's that, it you're convinced yeah, it's LA, it's it's, LA. It's I said it before the season got started when people thought Shohei this Shohei that's a man he's going to look really good in one or two uniforms <laughs> the Dodgers and the Yankees I don't know if the Yankees will be in play but the Dodgers will certainly be in play for Shohei Otani his name is Freddie Coleman my name is Joe Fortenball an anniversary in sports that needs to be discussed this is a good one that's next Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app Fitz and Harry the podcast
This is Fitz and Harry. Jordan Cornett, ESPN basketball analyst. Well, first off, Fitzy, Harry, it's great to be on with you guys. Ebony and Ivory are over here really doing it. <laughs> which one, wait, 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 which one am I? Which, I'm, I'm Ivory in this one, right? Or wait, do I hey, get to be Jordan, Ebony? Jordan, you know, know what to say. Jordan, you know what to hey, say. If you got to ask, you know which one you are. Ebony and Ivory. All those troubleblazers. Fitz and 100%. Harry, presented by Progressive Insurance on ESPN Radio. The fellas are out this week on a much-deserved vacation. So alongside Freddie Coleman, my name is Joe Fortenball. Freddie, 26 years ago today, yeah. a short five-minute drive from where I currently sit at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Mike Tyson bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. A day which will live in <laughs> infamy. <laughs> I mean, you you go back and yeah. think about some of the craziest moments that have happened in sports. That absolutely is one that's in the conversation. Those two had yeah. fought seven months prior. Holyfield, in a shocking upset, scores the 11th round TKO over Tyson. So they schedule the rematch, and now you're obviously giving Holyfield a hell of a lot more respect because he had shown he could beat Tyson already. Exactly. Tyson getting frustrated, bites him once, and then takes a massive chunk out of his ear. Third round disqualification, and then the spiral for Tyson kind of began. But yeah. that wasn't like a bite. That was yeah. a massive chunk the size of a quarter that was missing from his ear. Yeah, even alligators looked at that and said, dude, you got to chill. You got to know how to bite people better than that. <laughs> I remember where I was. I'm watching the fight at my friend Andre Marmaleos' house because I was working at Lincoln Hospital in the Bronx, New York at that time. And we worked in the same place in the decontamination unit. He says, Freddie, I'm buying the fight. Come on, no, we'll have some beverages. We'll have some, you know, some food. Let's just do it up. I'm like, I'm not refusing an invitation to a party. I'm with nope. it as far as that goes. And back then, getting that on pay-per-view was a big deal. Massive. People chipping in. You had to order through the box. You had to call. Absolutely. It was a whole process. You couldn't just dial it up on your phone and then no. also stream it. No, it wasn't like that. So we get there, and everybody's ready for the fight. And my man, Andre, is a major, major Holyfield fan. So he was the one that believed the Holyfield could win the first matchup. People thought he was losing his mind. He won a lot of money from people in that neighborhood by taking a lot of bets and taking people's money. <laughs> so we're watching the fight, and it gets to that third round. And the first time we see it, we're thinking, did he just bite his ear? And I'm thinking, right. should that be an automatic disqualification? But Mills Lane didn't disqualify Mike Tyson. So Mike Tyson's probably thinking, if I can take off a little bit, maybe I can take off more. It was clear that that human being snapped at that moment. And we just stood and sat there in my man Andre and Myra, his wife's living room. We could not believe we actually saw that. We're used to seeing an animal planet or right. Wild Kingdom. Shark but, Week's coming up. Right, but not up for a heavyweight championship bout involving the continued spiral at that time when it came to Mike Tyson. And it's not as if after he bit his ear off that everything calmed down. In classic exactly. boxing fashion, Tyson was trying to knock out everybody in the ring. Yep. It was complete chaos It in was. There. I remember everybody that jumped in the ring, they were, they, they were getting leather, whether they yeah. wanted to get leather or not, <laughs> from Mike Tyson. And you mentioned a downward spiral 26 years ago today. Think about the aura that, for those who don't know, when Mike Tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world, he was literally the biggest sports Ooh. star in this country. The only one that was even on his level hadn't happened yet. When it came to Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan became a big star in the 90s when the Bulls had their run. But in the 80s, from about 86 to about 90, it was Mike Tyson and it was everybody else. Maybe not just in this country, Joe, but even among the entire world. That's what kind of pull 
that dude had. It was crazy because he had his own video game. And uh, when you Mike hear Tyson's that in the knockout, year, punch out, yeah, yeah. you hear yeah. that in the year 2023, and that doesn't mean anything. All mm-hmm. types of people have video games. There was only one system back then, yep. and he was a boxer. He wasn't Magic Johnson. Exactly. He wasn't Joe Montana who had a game on uh, Sega Genesis, I think. It was yeah. Mike Tyson on Nintendo, and that game was awesome. He was a heavyweight fighter who wasn't 270 pounds nope. and 6'6". Like, you see these dudes now, Deontay Wilder, Tyson, Tyson Fury. Fury. They are literal giants. Tyson wasn't even six feet tall, no, he, and he was in there knocking out everybody. Yeah, he was built like an NFL strong safety, 5'10", Ooh. about 230 pounds, about 225. But to your point about Mike Tyson's punch-out, I can't tell you how many arcades had kids in that place playing that game. When arcade and arcade games, you could go to the store and play that video game. I can't tell you how many times you would walk by an arcade and see a line outside the door from kids wanting to play Mike Tyson's punch-out in the video arcade. 007-373-5963. You know what that is? No. What is that? That's the code to skip ahead to Tyson at the end of the game. Really? 007-373-5963. Where were you in 1988 when I needed you? <laughs> right. It Where took so long then? to get to him. And then, and then when you were there fighting him, yep. you needed to know such a magical sequence of moves and uh-huh. timing to get past that guy. Right. Because you, you couldn't finish him in the first round. No. You that... had to extend the fight, but you had to avoid wow. those killer shots. I, I had no idea about that. because Anytime I got to fight, fight you already get through all the other guys, get to Mike Tyson. It always ended badly for me. I was just so yeah. happy just to get there. I didn't care what the end result was. <laughs> Seriously. You're like these guys that get in the ring with Canelo. You know you're getting the big payday. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and knock me out. Yep. This was My career has lived up to this. Yeah, I've gotten the, to this moment. Yeah, that's when you touch gloves. You say, let's get this over with. You know right away. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Let's get this yeah, over with. It's, when you look back on that, the focus is obviously on Tyson and how crazy that whole thing was. 26 years ago today, he bites Evander for Holyfield's ear at the no. MGM Grand Garden Arena right here in Las Vegas. But Holyfield has been a part of so much boxing history. Sure. Not just the ear bite. He was in the ring for Fan Man at Caesars oh, yeah. Palace. He's fighting about that. Riddick Bowe. And it was the second of their trilogy. It was mm-hmm. the only one he won. It was by majority decision. Some dude comes out of left field parachuting into the ring. Yeah. And think about Holyfield as an amateur boxer where he hits a guy after the belt. He was going to clearly win the gold medal at the Olympics. He hits a guy at a mere milliseconds after the belt. He got disqualified in the semifinals because they said there was no way that guy was beating him on points and there was no way the guy in the gold medal match was going to beat him. I didn't think about Evander Holyfield. You know, Mr. Right Reverend himself at times yes. has been a part of some really funky moments in his career. All of it. I mean, wow. Fan Man, the earbite, Malice at the Palace. Which mm-hmm. one dropped your jaw further? Oh, when he when you bite somebody's ear twice, <laughs> that that's just that, that's a lifetime achievement award. You retire everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those sounds come from the great Freddie Coleman. My name is Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Canny and Carlin are coming up next. You guys are the best. We'll be back tomorrow, noon Eastern, right here on ESPN Radio. Been listening to the Fitz and Harry podcast. You can listen to the guys live weekdays from noon to three Eastern on ESPN Radio, and you can watch on the ESPN app.